refuted episode 30 uh today we are going to talk about uh seer stones oh i am your host the evangelical norm uh today we are going to talk about seer stones and in reality when i first watched through this video all the way through my intention was to uh start this let the video play from beginning to end uh look into the camera and say that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard stand up and walk away and let that be the end <clears throat> but then i rethought and said well you know um you're here to hear about this obviously you watch these for a reason and so you deserve a little bit more than that so i'm gonna play it i'm i will interject once or twice in different places during the video and then we'll talk a little bit about it at the end but in reality this is uh one of the most ridiculous uh, explanations I've ever heard. Um, and I, there's part of me that says, why would you even do it? But with modern day Mormonism and the existence of the internet and the access that everybody has to these things, it has to be somehow explained away uh, to try to make it seem like it's a, a normative thing in Christianity to use something like the seer stones that Joseph Smith used to translate the Book of Mormon when it really, the, the argument and the explanation, it, it fails. It miserably fails. So, um, you know, back in the day, they wouldn't even talk about this stuff. This, this was completely denied. Now the fact that they can't deny it, they have to find some way to try to explain it. So I'm going to stop talking for a little bit and let David talk and let him try to explain why seer stones are something good. God has a history of using inanimate objects to fulfill his objectives. For example, the staff of Moses and or Aaron, I'm not sure who it belonged to initiated many of the plagues of Egypt. Moses later hit the rock with his staff and water comes out. Later the Israelites are plagued by poisonous serpents. Moses raises up a metal snake on a pole and anyone who just looks at it is healed. In the New Testament, Christ wipes mud on a man's eyes to heal him. Paul uses a handkerchief to heal people. Going back to the Old Testament, the Israelites used two stones called the Urim and Thummim or in Hebrew, Urim Vitumim. I hope I said that right. Meaning lights and perfections. According to Bible.org, which is not a Latter-day Saint website, mind you, most scholars believe the Urim and Thummim to be two sticks or stones, perhaps precious stones, that God used in a miraculous way to reveal his will. Obviously, these objects have no power in and of themselves. It comes from God. But if you're a Christian, God's use of everyday objects, like rocks and sticks, should not be surprising. 
They were used anciently, but let's also take a look at how inanimate objects, in this case seer stones like the Urim and Thummim, have been used in more modern times. Joseph Smith took the ancient golden plates of the Book of Mormon out of the ground in September 1827. But the stone box contained more than the plates. There were two stones in silver bows, and these stones fastened to a breastplate constituted what is called the Urim and Thummim, deposited with the plate. And the possession and use of these stones were what constituted seers in ancient or former times, and that God had prepared them for the purpose of translating the book. Keep that in mind. What he just said right there, that God had prepared them for translating the book, for the purpose of translating the book. Remember that. There's, there's a quiz at the end. Finding a Urim and Thummim wouldn't have been too surprising for Joseph because he actually already owned at least two seer stones. One he found in 1819, it was white. The other he found in 1822 while helping to dig a well for his neighbors. That one was brown. We even have a picture of that one, but as you can see, it just looks like a rock. But it's a rock. I know it's a rock! Just as it was just a rock. Stick looked like a walking stick, except when it was busy being a snake. Initially, Joseph used his seer stones to help people like Josiah Stowell in 1820. Okay, so now we have to, we have to stop for a minute and, and talk about this because he says that the seer stone looked just like a rock, um, just like Moses' staff looked just like a staff, except when it was busy being a snake. Um, and earlier he had said that they, they don't carry any power in and of themselves. So if that is the case, why are they called a seer stone? Do they have power in and of themselves, or are they just a rock? And if that is the case... Why can it be any rock? Why does it have to be specifically that they are seer stones, which indicates that they are different from regular rocks, and so there is some intrinsic power in themselves? There's a problem right there, and I would expect David to be able to explain this problem, but he can't, and he doesn't, and he doesn't even try. And this is the disrespect to you, the listener, that they just give you this stuff and then they don't even try. This is deception. This is them trying to give you a little smokescreen on, oh, seer stones are okay. Joseph Smith translating the Book of Mormon with his face in a hat was okay because God did other things that were kind of like this. But this is specifically sorcery. Without much success, to find buried treasure. Personal bucket list item for me, but that's beside the point. Sometimes Joseph gets a bad rap for his history of folk magic-y stuff. I frankly don't really care. I mean, Paul in the New Testament was an accomplice to the murder of Stephen before he found the truth. Okay, now here, we, again, he's making a comparison that fails because he says Paul was a, a, a an accomplice to Stephen's murder, which, yes, he was. And then he repented and Paul stopped murdering people. Joseph, obviously, if he found what if he found the, the second seer stone after and if my timeline is right, it was after he found the, the plates, um he never stopped using sorcery. He didn't repent. 
there's no repentance, and that's the difference between Paul being an accomplice to, to Stephen's murder. Paul repented and quit murdering people. Joseph never repented, and he continued to use source, excuse me, sorcery. Turned out to be a pretty solid guy, though. Historian Richard Bushman quoted one of Joseph's friends, Alva Hale, saying that Joseph told him that the gift of seeing with a stone was a gift from God, but that peeping, seer stones in relation to folk magic were also called peep stones, was all darned nonsense. He'd been deceived. Obviously, that says damned nonsense. There's nothing wrong with the word. Um, so here again, nowhere do we see anywhere biblically of anybody seeing with a stone. We don't. Th nothing. It's for Joseph to say that the gift, and again, to just to kind of differentiate. It's ridiculous. He in his treasure seeking, but he did not intend to deceive anyone else. By this time, Joseph apparently felt that seeing with a stone was the work of a seer, a religious term, while peeping or glass looking was fraudulent. Joseph started translating the Book of Mormon in 1828. How do we know the difference? If you're using the exact same stone to do something, again, where's the difference? The, oh, the stuff that the people accuse him of, oh, well, that was bad and I can't do that anymore, but I can continue to use these things for good reasons. It, again, it's just, it, it feeds into the deception of what is the Book of Mormon anyway. And, and yes, I, I do believe the Book of Mormon is a fraud. And so uh, let's, let's continue on because this next part is the important part with what I, I told you to remember before. So let's move on. Initially, he used the Urim and Thummim. Later, he switched to one of his other seer stones, and eventually, as he became more experienced with Revelation, he wouldn't need anything at all to help translate. Joseph had multiple scribes, including his wife. Okay. So now here's the, here's the important thing to think about. He had said that the Urim and Thummim was prepared with the purpose of translating the book. And then Joseph quit using it to translate the book. And he used another seer stone to translate the book. And then he just stopped using anything, period. Now, this is actually, thinking of the, on that, this is going to move into what he says in this next section. Emma Smith, Martin Harris, and Oliver Cowdery. David Whitmer, who was a witness of the existence of the Golden Plates, explained how the seer stone would work. A piece of something resembling parchment would appear on the stone, and on that appeared the writing. One character at a time would appear, and under it was the interpretation in English. Brother Joseph would read off the English to Oliver Cowdery, who was his principal scribe, and when it was written down and repeated to Brother Joseph to see if it was correct, then it would disappear, and another character with the interpretation would appear. Now, when I work on my laptop, I like to work outside, but I oftentimes can't because it gets so bright outside that I can't see my laptop screen as well. Apparently, Joseph had a similar problem with his seer stone. So to block out the light, his simple solution was to put the stone in a hat. Kind of a funny image, but what works, works. Or, this is a more likely explanation, he had to have that hidden away in order for the parchment to show up where the other people in the room couldn't see the parchment because there was nothing there. So, you're, you're real, David, you're really comparing the 
sun glare on a laptop screen to a rock. And a magical, spiritual, revelatory image that appears on the rock. Again, if we're going to compare this to biblical stuff and the mentioning of the Urim and Thummim, nowhere did it mention that the Urim and Thummim in the Bible was used inside of a hat. This is... To ignore this stuff is... It's pure stubbornness to, to look at this. For, for him to try to explain this and pass this off as valid revelation or valid spiritual activity. Um, no, I, I won't say spiritual activity because that can cover a whole broad. As valid Christian activity is exhausting because I hear this. And it immediately makes me think of a con man. And all these people were deceived by this one man. This is what he'd do for hours at a time, an average of eight pages per day. His scribes say Joseph had no reference material around him, no secret pre-written manuscript pages stuffed in his hat. If you want to believe the Book of Mormon is a fraud, which you are certainly free to do, you've either got to believe that his scribes were in on it, which in my opinion makes no sense if you look at their history and circumstances, or Joseph perfectly memorized his secret manuscript and then rattled it off seamlessly to the scribe. But anyways, now you know a bit about seer stones, how they were used ancient. All right, so we're going to let that go. Um, again, we come back to the whole issue of Supposedly the Urim and Thummim was put there to translate the book and then he didn't go. He went back to, he fell back into what he did before. Um, deception abounds in this entire story. And the fact that so much of the Book of Mormon is, is the book of Isaiah and biblical stuff plagiarized. I, I have no, no doubt that Joseph Smith could have memorized the Bible the portions of the Bible that he read off and plagiarized for the Book of Mormon. Um, I have no doubt that Joseph could have just made it up. And really, if you think about the way that it went, it makes sense that he went from facing a hat using a stone. And then as he got more comfortable and more uh, confident in his, uh, his ruse that he was committing, then he, he didn't need to use the magic Urim and Thummim. He could use his regular old seer stone that he liked so much. And then he was just like, you know what? I don't need a hat. I don't need a book a rock. I don't need anything. I'm going to just stand here and, and read off a story to you that I'm making up as I go along. That's the way it sounds to me. That's the way. I mean, to, to try to explain away any of this seer stone stuff is just absolutely ridiculous. If there's any amount of evidence against the exist uh, against the validity of the Book of Mormon, this is it. This is this is this is absolutely it. And the the attempt at explaining it away as just one of the the, the inanimate objects that God uses is ridiculous. Because again, there there's nothing that we can find anywhere that gives us the impression that God did anything in, in the way that this is very much akin to sorcery. Um, and it, it was, it was literally sorcery. Here's my question for, for 
David and any Mormon apologist or so on if what he was doing was sinful and sorcery before he had the plates and was translating it, putting his face in a hat with a stone and trying to find buried treasure or any of these other things, and then to do it in the translation of the book, why was it sorcery at one point and not at the other? He was doing the exact same activity. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And this is not... This this is not what the what was biblical about the Urim and Thummim. It's not. The Urim and Thummim was not a seer stone. And Joseph Smith's seer stones were not something that was used by God to translate a book that nobody actually saw the plates except for the eye of faith, which is a sketchy language in and of itself. And, and suspect but I answer all that in uh, my other video is the Book of Mormon so you think the Book of Mormon is a fraud on my old Facebook page or on my old YouTube page that has apparently been shadow banned so you can go look it up and watch it but if you're searching for it you're probably not going to find it because YouTube has killed it uh, so um, there you go I know I, I sound a little bit frustrated in this but this it just it, it is ridiculous to me it really feels like they're insulting the intelligence of the viewer in trying to present this. And and ultimately, it, it shows the level of deception um, that is, is within the LDS Church and the, the willingness to... I mean, even in his statement of talking about Joseph Smith's former criminal activities, what he was sued for, to say I don't care, I really don't care. I mean, that would be to for no one, no Christian would look at Paul's murderous activity and go, yeah, yeah, I really don't care. No, it was significant, but we know that Paul repented, put his faith in Christ, and it doesn't show anywhere where Joseph Smith repented of the the use of sorcery and the occult. I mean, it 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 spans all the way up to his death. And so I don't see fruit in keeping with repentance, and I can't see the, uh, a valid comparison between Joseph Smith and the Apostle Paul. So there you have it. I hope this was helpful to you all. Um, as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.